Welcome to Fiery Discourse, your podcast for media featuring dragonesses, female dinosaurs, and other similar stories and skillies. I'm your host, Ludmillanon, and with me are my co-hosts, Angron, Math Machine, Lucky Eevee, and Stryker. Today is our 18th episode, and we're discussing 1961's Gorgo, so let's get things started. Now, Gorgo is an extremely unique movie. It is one of the only, perhaps the only, kaiju movie or giant monster movie for those of you who you know do not know the term that Mm. takes place in europe specifically great britain and it is a very interesting uh entry in the kaiju genre now uh with kaiju um they're not as popular in some european nations as others kaiju of course is huge in in uh, asia and uh, the united states to a lesser extent but in Europe, in a lot of countries, it did not take off. It was popular in Germany, it was popular in France for some time, and it was popular, decently popular in Italy. But Britain, it was not very popular at all. So that makes this perhaps the only British giant monster movie ever made. Now, the interesting thing about this movie, too, is it was made in 1961, so the obvious comparison to Gorgo would be Godzilla. But it was not. It was inspired by the Ray Harryhausen classic, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And the director of Gorgo previously directed The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which is a very unique connection, I feel, that Mm. they actually got the director from the movie that inspired them to make this. Now, right off the bat, this movie has really beautifully well-done cinematography. Like, the opening shots of the island and basically of the sea are really... It's almost something, like, out of Ryan's Daughter, to be honest. More than, like, you know, a kaiju movie. Mm. And the underwater photography, too, is uh, basically something that is very intricate and very well done. Now, the other interesting thing about this movie is the first 20 minutes or so... It's more like one of the uh, Disney live-action adventure movies like Swiss Family Robinson or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea more than the movie that it would become. But yeah, the movie definitely makes the most out of its budget because this movie had a a decent-sized budget for the time, but it was nowhere near the cost of like the movies that are being made by Toho at the time. Mm, you can definitely see that with the beginning with the boat being sunk into the sea it really is actually it's a miniature but it actually looks a lot better than more miniatures done in a lot of uh bigger studios and we're definitely going to see more of that later on in the movie now the part on a uh, naru island which is the uh setting of the movie at the beginning it's a small island off the coast of ireland it's very quiet and understated which actually helps uh this is one of the kaiju movies that actually has like a really, really good story. I'm not saying that, you know, they don't have them generally, but there's some of them that know you're just there for the monster fights. Whereas this actually tries to take the time to actually give us sympathetic characters and interesting backstories. And the uh, main character, uh, John, who is played by uh, William Sylvester, 
He would later star in a 2001 A Space Odyssey as uh, Dr. Haywood Floyd. So you can definitely tell that he is a pretty good actor. He's not as good as someone like, say, uh, Raymond Burr in you know, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But he does still put in a very good performance with this movie. I'll bet. Yep. Oh, yeah. So now the part uh, at the beginning when they're on Nauru Island and they see the orphan boy, Sean, who lives with like the lighthouse master and that, it serves as foreshadowing, and we get to hear and see our first, basically, glimpse of Ogra. Ogra, sorry. Basically, the uh, creature, the, you know, kaiju that we're going to talk about today. She makes an appearance as a dragon carving on a, liking, on a Viking longboat, and the design on it looks way different than the suit we would get later. I don't know if this is because this they had an old prop they were lying around that they had to use it, or if they had a different design in mind for basically the monster. But it is something unique to note. Mm. So now, there's a lot of a rear projection when we're on the boats, but one thing I will say about it, it is very well done. It's a lot better compiled than a lot of other more famous movies. Like, I don't know if you've seen the comedy It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. Funny, funny movie. But one of the like the funny elements in it is when like they're driving the car and you can see that it's just a car in front of like a screen in that in some shots. It's almost like intentional. Lately, it's like intentionally bad in some points. But this movie was really, really well done. And one thing I do have to wonder with the parts with the uh, boat and with the sailing and that it also reminds me a bit of a uh, John Huston's Moby Dick. I definitely could see that with the influence and basically the way the crew is, the crew of the ship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this movie has a very unique uh, take on a kaiju being an ancient, you know, sea serpent beast. It's not really unique because we've seen that before. Even, I mean, also, even with God- Godzilla, to yeah, be exactly, honest. Exactly, exactly. The, the most famous one, of course, being Godzilla. But it is still, uh, there are some very unique elements about uh, Gorgo. Now, Gorgo is our titular monster, and but, uh, of course, he's not the one we are going to talk about. There is a twist, which we will get to later on. The part where uh, Gorgo first appears rising out of the water is really well done, and you can definitely tell that whoever the suit actor was, especially considering that this is a foreign production that from a country that did not do this kind of movie at all, for their first attempt at this type of film, it was really well done. And there are some obvious parts where the models that, uh, like, Gorgo is crushing, for example, some of, like, the boats and the houses are and pretty the big obviously... Yeah, yeah, they bend a little. But the good part is that the scene takes place at night, so it's intentionally lit dark. So unless you're really looking for it, like, and, and, you know, you won't probably notice that on, like, first or second viewing. But yeah, uh, Gorgo has a very interesting design for a kaiju. Its finned ears are a nice touch, as well as its like uh, red eyes in some shots, which I think uh, it's definitely a different type of design. It's not trying to ape like you know Godzilla or you know Beast and Twenty Thousand Fans of them being giant dinosaurs. This feels more like a mythical, you know, a mythical creature from like you know Celtic mythology or such, or something like from Celtic. Yu-Gi-Oh. But I digress. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh too. Yeah, no, I can definitely yep. see the. They probably definitely got inspiration from a kaiju in general, and they might have got inspiration from this too, which we'll talk about in a little while. So yeah, uh, kaiju uh, actors 
went through a lot. And this pretty much goes for every single uh, kaiju movie out there before the advent of technology where monster suits are no longer needed. These uh, stuntmen, they had to do some crazy things. They had like explosions going off around them. And in this movie, Gorgo's uh, suit actor has to be near open flame during their first scene. And oh, like shit. I say, yeah, yeah, uh, kaiju actors, the suit actors, like, you know, basically they went through a lot because not only were they stuntmen, they were stuntmen who had like limited vision in these in these costumes. I mean, I can part. see that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because I remember um, hearing about uh, the uh, suit actor who played um, uh, Godzilla, like actually losing weight during production in his suit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, for a production from a country that is not known for making this type of movie, they did a very good job with it. It actually has some really good uh, monster effects, especially considering, again, this is the first and only kaiju movie I know that is filmed and made entirely in Britain or even Europe when you get down to it. Mm, so, uh, yeah. Gorgo uh, sinking back into the deep is another good special effect. It probably was done with, like, a platform in the uh, water tank. I'm not sure if that's how they did it or not, but regardless, it still looks really cool. So the human drama element between the uh, captain and the first mate, it drags a little bit, but it's not enough to sink the movie as a whole. Basically, it's stuff that you could skip over, but granted, it still is, you know, decently well done. It's not as goofy as, say... Some of the later uh, Gamera movies are that. Mm. Oh, yeah. I can certainly believe that. Yeah. Gamera's but now, great, though. Oh, Gamera's great. Gamera's great. We will talk about Gamera at another point in this podcast. Yeah. Don't you worry about that. We're going to talk about uh, Hell probably yeah. a Gamera movie at once. But yeah, uh, the part uh, where they capture Gorgo is a little bit silly how they use giant nets. But the part where they go down into the bathosphere... It actually reminds me, again, of something like Journey to the Center of the Earth or, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea compared to, again, other types of kaiju movies. This feels like it was taking inspiration from all sorts of things to try and make their own original story. And for the most part, I feel like they succeeded. Now, one interesting uh, aspect of the movie, when Gorgo is in the net and he's like he's trying to basically reach out to uh, Sean... I believe they actually used animatronics for that. I have no idea where the animatronics went, where they are today, but I can definitely tell with like the uh, special effect of it. And it looks really good. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's certainly impressive. Yeah. So uh, most kaiju movies, basically, you could argue has a has basically an underlining theme to it. Godzilla is a metaphor for the A-bomb. Yongari is a metaphor for Japanese occupation of Korea in World War II. This movie, you realistically could make the case. This message is about the uh, exploitation of Ireland by the British. Now, it sounds silly, I know, but if you really read into it, you definitely could make the case that this is the underlying, basically, message of the movie. Hidden message, regardless, but a message nonetheless. And... I've heard it said in academic circles, and I can kind of see it, especially with uh, how the orphan uh, Sean, he wants to free Gorgo and uh, warns uh, basically the you know English characters what they're doing is wrong. 
and the musical score with the soft uh, Celtic uh, melodies for the most part, until, of course, the giant uh, kaiju, basically, destruction sequence at the end, is really well done, and it fits with the story. Now, Sean is interesting because there was a stereotype for a while with kaiju movies that a lot of them had, like, little kids in them. Look at, for example, the Gamera movies. They all had, like, little kids in them who knew instantly what was going on and, you know, why Gamera was there to save the day and whatnot. Now, it, it's silly, but it's fun. But this feels, again, more realistic. This feels like it's a movie that, it, like, again, because probably they didn't base this off of Godzilla or any other, you know, Japanese kaiju movie, it gives this uh, version a very unique vibe to it. it it's like yeah. a kaiju movie that's not a kaiju movie. But, yeah. They said yeah. that uh, this movie was inspired by uh, Beast and 20,000 fans. But the movie, it really took a lot of inspiration from, and it's very obvious at some points, is King Kong. We're talking about uh, because they bring back Gorgo to London to exhibit him in a circus. And there's a part with him being basically brought to London and parade around Piccadilly Circus and that. And it's literally just the empty monster suit on like a or sorry, the animatronic rather put on like a flatbed truck and driven around the uh, city of London, basically. So, yeah, Gorgo being sold to the circus is how you could possibly uh, get the exploitation theme behind it. And that he's this, you know, ancient, you know, mythical being it's basically sold off to a circus and being laughed at by people who throw peanuts in that. He's basically put in a pit like uh, King Kong. Well, not, not in a pit like King Kong, but he's displayed on stage, much like how Kong was in the theater. But yet this version, compared to King Kong, I think you feel more, not regret for Gorgo, but you feel more sympathetic towards Gorgo because you actually see how the people are reacting to him compared to the original Kong, where he was depicted more as a curiosity and thing. You still felt sympathy for him, but not as much as this. And it's especially see shown when uh, Gorgo tries to escape, and they basically uh, draw him back with uh, flames. Mm. You know, they have the you know, guys in the suits, protective uh, fire resistance suits with the flamethrowers, to basically stop Gorgo from leaving his pen. So now, since Gorgo actually was a smaller monster suit compared to a lot of others, it probably was maybe around the size of Minya from some of the later Godzilla movies. So I, I can't confirm this. Mm. It's kind of hard to find out really a lot of behind the scene info about the movie, sadly. But yeah, what they did use, they used forced perspective and a very small sets to make him look larger than he was. And it works because... Until I actually read that it was a smaller suit, I would have had no clue that it, it wasn't like the same suit they used for Agra. Ogre, sorry. Oh, Ogre yeah, from, uh, the, yeah, from the Dark Crystal. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, like I said. Yeah, I they, also used, uh, electric, they also used electric fences for uh, Gorgo to like keep him in there. Yep. Which, <sighs> again, uh, you could say is inspired a little bit by uh, Jurassic Park. And later bit. on, when uh, Agra... Wait, when, Jurassic uh, Agra, Park came out... When did it come out? 93. Years after uh, this. 93. Years so I, after I don't this. think it was inspired by Jurassic Park. No, no, no I, meant, I meant Jurassic Park was inspired by this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I said it the other way around, uh, doi. Uh, 
You're fine. I know, definitely tongue twisted. But anyway, yeah. Um, the double decker buses with like the Gorgo logo on it apparently existed in real life uh, when the movie was being made, and it basically was a free marketing campaign. Yeah, that uh, worked. Every time I hear double decker, I immediately uh, think it's followed up by double decker bus, no, double decker couches from the Lego movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, like uh, I said, the part where uh, Sean sneaks into the circus. And basically, you know, has a moment where he stares at a Gorgo sadly. It is legit, like, heart-wrenchingly sad how they do this. It is something that really, really surprised me how they got away with this kind of... uh, Not got away with, but it's really surprising how much emotion they put into this movie. Now, it's not like the... I'm I'm maybe overselling it a little. It's not the best kaiju movie, but it is probably one of the more interesting ones in terms of the genre. So now we get to a big twist in the story. Gorgo is an infant, and Ogra is Gorgo's mother. And, of course, she is very, very upset that her child has been uh, stolen from her, which, again, probably uh, inspired, not was inspired, it may have inspired uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park. Especially with the part with uh, the T Rex rampaging through San Diego for its a child, I would be very surprised if Spielberg did not take a little bit of that from Gorgo. Mm, yeah, but yeah, I can uh, definitely imagine that. Yeah, Agra basically uh, yeah. Uh, destroys the buildings on Na- on Nehru Island for losing her child, and it's done again pretty decently. You know, a lot of good modeling work. Now, Agra is interesting because she is one of the extremely uh, small examples of you know 100% legit female kaijus there's not a lot oh, when yeah. you really get down to it there's yeah, of course mothra there's mothra there's yeah, a wait, i'm sorry back that up uh, mothra and then what hedora right i have never heard of that huh i thought you know had, you know hedora the uh, smog monster basically i thought it was supposed to be female oh weird but anyway, um, there's a Gaos from Gamera, which a lot of people uh, don't know, actually, I believe is female. But aside from that, there's really not a lot, which is very interesting. Most kaiju are either, you know, male or they don't say what the gender is at right. But Gorgo or Gorgo, sorry, but Ogra is one of the very few that is, you know, 100 percent basically a female, which is very interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting, like. There honestly should be uh, some more, like, female kaiju out in the world. I mean, we do also have uh, Kong's mom, but, you know... Yeah, she... yeah, that's that's different. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Um, also, so what's yeah, very, um, in- yeah, what's very interesting about uh, Olga is, like, yeah, other than that, is the fact that, like, I think compared to her son, I think she has the darker red eyes. I could be wrong... But like they're very, uh, but they're very, very much more prevalent on her because, yeah, I, I mean, just like I, the few stuff, the few bits that I've seen of her on the movie, it is very surprising that like, it, it's honestly quite fitting that she like uh go, trashes around London looking for her kid like in the way that she does like. She takes down freaking London Bridge. She takes down the big yeah, yeah. Ben. And the uh, actually the, the kaiju destruction saw. is really, really well done. Now, before we get to that part, um, 
The problem with this movie, the, probably the biggest problem, is the amount of military stock footage when you basically, you know, Agra is lumbering towards London from, you know, neighbor island. It is almost comical, the amount of footage that they use at one point, yo. And at one point, I believe they used the same footage, so they just flip it uh, in horizontally reversed it to have, like, a plane takeoff, then another plane takeoff. And apparently, all of this uh, military stock footage was outed, was added without the consent of the director. And he, apparently, he was so upset at that, he made a director's cut, which apparently removed all of the military footage. Granted, that probably makes the uh, movie a little bit shorter, but it, it it would be a big improvement because I feel like for the most part, a lot of the uh, stock footage was unneeded. A couple of shots, yeah, but I feel like for the most part, it was padding, and it really is tedious padding at that, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. It mainly is padding. Yeah, and unfortunately, but uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, like uh, Angron said, uh, Agra makes her way to London, and... It is kind of eerie when you realize that, you know, London had the Blitz less than 15 years before this, and they were doing a whole uh, thing with, you know, London being destroyed yet again. It's a little bit eerie, but the model effects are very well done. The parts where she, like, destroys London Bridge and when she, like, uh, destroys uh, Big Ben and that are really, really well done. It is... I would actually compare it to Godzilla in some shots and how, like, the part where Augur basically swats a building down with her hand. It is something that I am really impressed with, that they actually managed to get away All Right. Yeah. And, yes, as far as uh, the Blitz is concerned, uh, I mean, Godzilla tackled nuclear uh, disasters just 10 exactly. years after that. So Definitely, we're, definitely. We're it's, it's not, it's not foreign to the idea of kaiju, basically. Yeah, and it's yeah, honestly, um, it honestly wouldn't be uh, too out of left field to uh, assume that Gorgo in particular was like a rendition of like the uh, bombings from uh, World War II. Exactly, that exactly. That could be another be. like, you know, metaphor. But yeah, uh, the only thing that does kind of affect this uh, sequence is there are some pretty poor compositing shots. When, uh, all, when like, for example, a building collapses and the debris rain on rain down on people, you can very easily tell that the footage of the debris has been placed over the people because it's almost transparent in some shots. And it's kind of a shame because that, uh, it, it looks kind of silly when compared to uh, parts of the rest of the movie, especially with this fantastic modeling work. Which is, again, really, really the highlight of the movie. And it's probably why I would actually recommend this uh, movie for you, for uh, most viewers and most uh, kaiju fans. Just to see, part of it is the novelty, again, of a kaiju movie placed in an area where a lot of kaiju movies do not happen. But another part is that it is legit well done. I mean, this is, some of these shots are very, very professional. And I am really surprised they did not do any more of this. because. It is very, very good. There is also overlay thing with some fire shots as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When Agra is like uh, set on fire as well. And again, those are also... few and far between. And otherwise, this is really well done. Yeah, and there's also one uh, part that is a little bit, uh, not so much goofy, but a little bit off-putting. Is there's a reporter character reporting on like the damage that uh, you know Agra is causing to London. 
mm-hmm. could tell this was like a last second edition because this uh, character is is like placed on top of the footage in like a blue screen or like yo and they didn't even really composite him out of it very well because you can see a little bit of the outline on like his hat and coat and you could tell this was like something done probably by the producers in the last second basically to try and uh, pad the movie out a little more and it's a shame because that honestly is the worst effect of the movie is this reporter character because it looks like they filmed this person in a completely different studio at a completely different time and just slapped him on top of the pre-existing footage. But aside like, from that, the, it like a sticker, like you just lick the back. Exactly, exactly. It's exactly like that. Yeah, like a stamp. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. But yeah, the part with the Agra basically being caught up in the roller coaster is 100% taken from a beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Because they captured the beast in a roller coaster in that movie. But here, of course, Agra just uh, smashes her way through. And the part where she reunites with the Gorgo is surprisingly heartwarming despite everything. Now, there is an interesting uh, thing about this. They have, of course, a Gorgo basically looking up to his mother, which is like dissipated as like a giant, basically, foot. Like, basically, her foot and her ankle. Now, I really wonder how they did that shot because... I don't think, you know, maybe it was through angling, maybe it was through, like, forced perspective, but it's a shot that you don't really see a lot of in a kaiju movies because, again, with, like, Godzilla and Minya, for example, they were done with, like, a smaller suit and, of course, Godzilla size. You know, there were actually two physical suits in the same scene together, whereas this appears to be two suits composited in the same shot, but, yeah, it's seamless. Yeah. yeah. Despite all of like the destruction and all of the basically, you know, you know, devastation caused by London and all the death, because this has a pretty big death toll, even for mm. Kaiju. This this is a pretty big death toll. I mean, that entire like tube station of people completely destroyed. So, yeah, uh, despite that, it has a very wholesome ending and it has a very I don't know what to call it, but it has a very almost heartwarming ending with you know uh, you know uh with man learning his lesson about tampering with nature again sort of like king kong but you know in a done in maybe a more uh not sympathetic but maybe not even realistic but basically a more heartwarming way let's put it that way you know we didn't get to see any of them die and that's another thing unusual for a kaiju movie the kaiju actually live which is unusual for its first movie because mm-hmm. usually they're killed off like Godzilla or sent away like Gamera. But in this, you know, Agra and Gorgo basically get to go back home to their island, to their home in the sea to live basically peacefully away from the ravishes of man. Yeah, because to be fair, they did kidnap the kids. So that's, that's, it, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was saying. It, it is, again, like King Kong with man tampering against forces he does not know with nature. And again, we'll talk about that when we talk about King Kong in this podcast, which definitely will happen sometime in the future. So uh, look out for that. But yeah, Gorgo was a surprising hit. You know, it actually made uh, three times its budget back, which, you know, very surprising, especially from a movie that, you know, from a country that did not seem to be really into these type of movies. And this movie was actually remade in Japan as Gappa. And they are. Yeah. Basically, what they are, they're more like a giant pterodactyls than, you know, the actual monsters of uh, Gorgo. 
Aside from that and the addition of, you know, a father to, uh, you know, Gappa, it is the exact same movie. Literally, beat for beat, it is literally the exact same movie as Gorgo. So I have to wonder how well, uh, how much business it actually did in Japan to where it actually warranted a Japanese remake. But yeah, uh, there are, of course, kaiju is associated with Japan, but there are a lot of uh, non-Japanese kaiju that are very interesting. For example, there's a Yongari, um, the, basically that is from uh, South Korea, and it's interesting that, like I said earlier, uh, Godzilla is a metaphor for the A-bomb, Yongari is a metaphor for Japan uh, over, uh, basically, Korea during World War II. And what's interesting is that all the buildings that Yongari destroys in their rampage of, you know, Seoul, they all are only, were specifically be done up to be the buildings that the Japanese built during World War II, which is very fascinating and is a very interesting take on things. And Yongari is another movie that it's really good and, again, very good modeling work. And they surprisingly never made any sequels to it. There's also uh, Pulgasari from North Korea, which, uh, very interesting backstory behind that, which uh, involves a director being kidnapped and uh, a lot of other uh, things. There's uh, Anpaman from uh, Thailand, which is interesting. A bunch from China. Really, it's just interesting in that how kaiju seems to be a concept that's almost universal, and yet, for some parts of the world, it just never took off. Again, like Britain. Even though this was a monster hit, and unlike, you know, Yongari, where Yongari basically is killed by missiles and bleeds out, this did not open itself up for, this actually opened itself up for a sequel, and it never got one. Mm, At least not a yeah. theatrical sequel. It did get a comic book series drawn by none other than Steve Ditko, a.k.a. the creator of Spider-Man. So that's oh, interesting. Yeah, 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 it lasted for uh, 23 issues, and apparently it was kind of like the Godzilla sequels or the Gamera sequels, and that it basically was Gorgo is kidnapped by another monster, and Agra basically has to go and save him from these monsters. It, mm. I, I looked up some uh, copies online, because apparently you can find uh, some drawings of it. It's pretty interesting, and I'm really surprised they never decided to make any theatrical sequels. I mean, this did well at the box office. It actually got pretty decent uh, critically acclaimed, which, again, very surprising. And they had uh, pretty much uh, the suits and everything ready, but they just never followed up on it, which is a shame. Mm, that is a shame. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is a little bit of a shame. Again, yeah. And originally, one thing that's interesting that they probably could have done for the sequel, they were, they were originally going to make this movie in France, but apparently... Filming it in France would have been very expensive. Another yeah. suggestion was going to be filming this in Australia, but they decided against that because they felt Australia didn't have any recognizable landmarks for, you know, basically Augur to destroy. Keep in mind, the Sydney Opera House wasn't even under construction when this was made, so they kind of probably had a point there. Oh, uh, that's true, yeah. yeah. I mean... I also read that the that the director of this movie was French. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's interesting. Uh, Eugene, and he also directed uh, *Beast and Twenty Thousand Fathoms*. Yeah, Eugene Laura. Yeah. Yep. So now it is time for the uh, question of the week, which is: 
What is your favorite non-Godzilla kaiju? And mine is a tie between uh, Mothra and Rodan. Mothra, because let's be honest, she is iconic for a reason. She is a, you know, one of the probably the most famous female kaiju. But not only with that, it's also that her design is really just so well done. She looks incredible. I mean, you could definitely tell they gave her so much personality and basically all of her all of her movements and she really feels alive and her being more of a sympathetic kaiju compared to a lot of the others she basically is the good kaiju not that the others aren't good you know the ones from the uh, toho franchise but they definitely are a little bit more rowdier than mothra shall we say now my second choice is rodan because I just think Rodan looks cool. I'm sorry. His design just, he looks awesome. And that is part of the reason oh, why yeah, I'm looking is. forward to talking about uh, Gamera versus Gaos in the future because Gaos has a really awesome design as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Angron, what would you have to say? Oh, man, that is going to be a little bit of a tough one. Um, so can we also count like uh stuff that's like within universes like Pokemon or Yeah, go ahead, any kaiju, any kaiju. Okay. So if not kaiju and if well if not Godzilla, sorry, and if not Mecha Godzilla, which I kind of want to count. Mhm. Would that still count as Godzilla? Yeah, it counts. Yeah, it counts. It, it, yeah, it has Godzilla in the name. Yeah, it too. counts. Okay. Um, then in that case, I am going to have to say Slifer the Sky Dragon from Yu-Gi-Oh. Ooh, okay. Ooh. I mean, have you seen the size of that thing? I mean, there's a damn good reason why it's called Slifer, why it's called the Sky Dragon. Like, this thing is huge. Blocks out the frickin' sun. It has two freaking mouths. Like, seriously. You are talking about a freaking Egyptian god, quote unquote, that pretty much is the most powerful card, even amongst cards like even Obelisk the Tormentor and the Winged Dragon of Ra. You cannot get any more crazy than that. Um. Like. Or for the most part. I will say one fun fact that I found out about for uh, Slifer, by the oh, way. Oh, yes? Go ahead. He's actually named after one of the executive producers in the English dub. <laughs> we'll be in and out, okay? That I makes see, sense. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, like... Um, I mean, the anime did come first, so... That but, yeah, I don't think see why. Actually, um, in Japan, Slifer is actually... The Sky Dragon of Osiris. Mm. That's a really cool name. Yeah. That checks out. Yeah, the the, the names are way different in, J- in Japan. Even for I Japan. don't doubt it. Yeah. Sounds more and more literal, right basically. Yep. Sorry if I uh, stepped on any toes. I nah, you're, you stepped on no toes, my guy. Oh, oh thank see. you. Not I just, at all. That's okay. Giant Divine Soldier of Obelisk. That's Obelisk, which is not as good. Winged Dragon of Ra. Let's see here. And the Winged Dragon of Ra is the Winged Divine Dragon of Ra. Yeah, no kidding. 
Yeah, really. <laughs> like, but, yeah. honestly, that is kind of a downgrade compared <laughs> to Slifer the Sky Dragon. Another reason why Slifer's better. Obelisk and his mad drip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Slifer the Sky Dragon is the Chad among versions. Yeah. Slifer, the executive producer. <laughs> oh, that's oh good. yeah. That's good. Oh, yeah. That, that freaking works. Oh, yeah. So, oh, that's awesome. Yep. So, uh, Math, what would you have to say is your favorite uh, non-Godzilla kaiju? Now, it could be a kaiju from the Godzilla universe, just not Godzilla himself. Uh, hands down, Mothra. Uh, yeah. Basically, that's... every reason that you said, Led uh, uh, on just a really great, yeah. unique design, um, really great personality, so much character from her. And yeah. just this regality that you don't get from any other kaiju. Yeah, more. I mean, other than yeah, Godzilla, yeah. but yeah, I agree. Also, definitely, definitely. also, also, in a uh, Super Nintendo or Super Famicom, if you want to get technical, fighting game starring the Godzilla characters, Mothra is easily one of the uh, most uh, one of the one of the most busted characters. <laughs> Like for for a fact that she uses a uh, dust attack that can deflect beam at- ranged attacks, and like her own beam attack can be used to like bounce around the scales and like dealing massive damage. It is crazy. I can imagine. Well, it is. Yeah. It, if uh. if not fight for the sky dragon, I would have easily picked freaking uh, Mothra. Mothra definitely has a lot of good character, but come on, it's the freaking director of the Yu-Gi-Oh English dub. <laughs> How can you compete with that? To be honest, honestly, there's no competition. Definitely <laughs> not, yeah. not, from that. not from that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, All right, what about you, Striker? Oh, absolutely, Mothra, hands down. She's, her, 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 her design is beautiful. Um, it just, it, it feels. Uh, this is just something deep within with her uh, for me that i just can't help but love and adore i mean she is fluffy so that helps well yes (laughs) but uh another thing is that i actually did uh base a character design on mothra as well oh nice oh yeah uh i just i couldn't help it i had to you know i don't blame you yeah And what about you, Evie? Uh, I think mine's going to be the tallest one here. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Eternatus. Fuck yeah. I was actually going to say Eternatus, but nice, yeah, Slifer nice, did, nice. did more for me. But yeah, I 100% agree. Eternatus, holy hell. It is quite an, it is quite an enigma, to say the least. And it really made uh, Sword and Shield... Pretty, pretty damn impressive, all things considered. Well worth the reveal. Well, anything that takes that that takes how big as from Whaler is already pretty impressive. I know, right? But this thing dwarfs <laughs> Whaler. Yeah. Look, uh, that thing is badass. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. The only downside I can think of with Eternatus is the fact that you can't really get its uh, Eternamax form, but. I mean, it's already impressive on its own. It's got a move that can uh, topple, uh, well, technically topple freaking Gigantamax Pokemon. It already looks amazing. 
like it's a dragon eaten alive by raw toxic energy. I mean, shit, it might as well be a it, holy fuck. It actually is a Draco Lich. Let, let's not beat around the bush. It is 100% a Draco Lich. How wow, crazy is that? That is awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah. Anything so, else from you, Evie? Man, man. All right. Okay. So now it is time for the uh, patent-pending uh, Dragonist scale, and today we are going to review, of course, Agra. I'll go first. Now, I have to take in mind that she is a kaiju, so there's not really much with the character development or, you mm. know, dialogue, because, again, she is a kaiju, so she technically does not really speak. With that being said, I am going to give her a 7 out of 10, because not just with the uh, novelty of her being one of the few female kaijus, one of the kaijus uh, basically from a European nation, it's also that I really feel that despite her limited screen time, she only appears in like the last uh, 20, 30 minutes of this movie, and with all the military stock footage cut out, it's probably not even that much, but granted, I just, you really get a feel for her rage of her wanting her child back. And of course, Gorgo yeah. has a great design and Agra is basically just a uh, larger version, a scale up version of a uh, Gorgo. So that definitely uh, uh, puts it into consideration. The modeling work of her destruction of uh, London, again, really, really well done. That's another point in her favor. And overall, I think that she is a very, very unique type of a uh, Kaiju that we surprisingly do not have a lot of. Mm, that is true. Uh, I am going to give her a little less than that. Six out of ten. Uh, well, so let's see here. She comes at like the last 20 minutes of the movie. So that kind of detracts a little thing. Again, she's it one of the... Yeah, I will also say this. Like, She's definitely devoted. She really wants she's she really knows what she wants and she absolutely gets it and she one hundred percent gets a happy ending for it, but yeah, again, a little bit of character characterization could have helped her just a little bit. Not saying give her a full on speaking voice, because that would be a little odd to say the least. Exactly, but yeah. I will admit that like I, and also, I will say that I haven't seen a whole lot of her due to not, at the time, being able to see... Uh, at, at the time, uh, wasn't unable to see all of Gorgo because ugh, life can suck sometimes. But I will say this. Uh, from what I saw of o Olga, she certainly looks devoted. Her design's impressive. And, okay, you know what? I think I'm probably going to have to bump mine up to, like, a 7 out of 10, personally. Uh, like, she got a happy it. ending. She's one of the few kite female kaiju that isn't like mothra and honestly i'm happy for that angela better okay. though that's good okay uh striker i'm gonna have to go with a six out of ten for right now because i have yet to view the movie all right no problem but with that. i but i do think that her design is pretty well done okay uh math machine I'm going to be going with a six as well. For as much as I did like the movie and thought the production was really high quality for the era that it's from, the only thing I could think from when the monsters came on was uh, 
Oi, Guff, can we have Godzilla? We got Godzilla at home. Godzilla at home. <laughs> oh, um, so for as much as I can absolutely see the difference between this and Godzilla, because I actually think this is closer to King Kong, like you've been yeah. saying, oh, it, no. I can't see this monster without seeing this is just a lesser Godzilla. Yeah, you mean yeah, like I mean, King Kong versus Godzilla? You mean yeah. like I mean, not to a single working at home mom, but like, yeah, yeah, I yeah, guess. I mean, King Kong versus Godzilla, might I add? Yeah, <laughs> and I will give absolute credit. Like, this is an amazing model and uh, suit that they made, especially for the era. Like, this is like seventies or eighties quality uh, suit. It it's just you don't really get anything from it. It's it's a nice design it's it's not quite godzilla level iconic design but it, it's a nice design and there's just no real personality that comes through in this uh other than the, the whole angry mother wanting her child back that's what makes godzilla work is that you got so much personality and charisma even from the very early movies and this all i got was if i may steal a line from hulk giant monster Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get it. Definitely, That's definitely. Definitely, definitely true. Like a giant monster, more like a giant animal, since like she did get, like she did have her son, have her child kidnapped. So there's a little right. leeway there. But yeah, I will definitely admit that. Yeah, a little more uh, diversity would have definitely helped. So oh, yeah, it's hundred It's a six uh, for basically quality. Uh, alone rather than character. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Lucky Evie, what would you have to say? I'd say five. I'm not too big of a design. I'm not too big on the design. Okay. No, so Sorry, what? Two out of ten, you said? He said five. Oh, okay. Yeah. I okay. wouldn't wait anything that long unless I absolutely fell out of this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so if you have any questions or if you want to get a job at Dorkin's Circus, you can email us at fieryDiscourse at outlook.com or email us at fiery or uh, visit us on Twitter at twitter.com slash fieryDiscourse. Next time, we'll be talking about the 2019 OK KO episode, Deep Space Vacation. So with uh, Cosmo, that's going to be oh, yeah, a lot baby. of fun. Yep, she's one of the uh, great, more recent dragonesses, and we're definitely going to have a lot to say about her. So thank yep. you guys so much for listening. And until then, uh, take care. Hey. So, Adi- adios.